Hello, everyone. I'm Jenna Filipkowski, and you're listening to a new episode of the Human Capital Institute's Nine to Thrive HR. This podcast features experts and practitioners in the field of human resources and brings their knowledge of the most pressing issues facing human capital management straight to you. I'm joined here by Dr. Joe DiCiano, a new author and manager of talent management and organizational development at UPMC. Welcome, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for the opportunity, Jenna. Yeah, we're glad to have you here and talk about your new book, A Busy Leader's Guide to Caring Leadership. Can you tell me about your journey, your background, and what led you to this important topic of caring leadership? Absolutely. So I've been studying leadership informally and formally for many years now, and the concept of caring alone uh, led me down this road of, of caring leadership and what that means. You know, I kept uh, hearing over and over again in coaching sessions or employee listening surveys, talent review calibrations, or just in conversations with employees, this concept of care continually coming up. Then I started to see it in the research and in books as well. And I really wanted to look at that as a hook for how we can focus on leaders uh, being better people uh, and better leaders in the workplace. So I started to recommend and even show others the power of what it means to show up in a more caring and compassionate way. And then they started to see the benefits and we started to see the benefits together uh, and realized that we were onto something. Besides that, it, it came from all the stories, the stories that center around someone that cares for you are incredibly powerful. So when asking people about the most meaningful leaders they've had in their lives, some of these interviews were going back to kindergarten. Um, teachers or even middle school basketball coaches or youth ministers, people who they hadn't seen in a decade or more that still have this massive impact on their lives and, and their behaviors uh, because they cared and they showed principles and actions of caring leadership. Uh, it reminds me of that Maya Angelou quote where she says, I've learned that people will forget what you said People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And caring is a key part of that. Uh, and then the inverse of that as well. You know, for worse, uh, people will never forget you because you hurt them or you broke their trust uh, in some way. So people will never forget you because you were caring, kind and compassionate. It goes a long way in making an impact on people's lives. I really agree with that. And it sounds like the definition of leadership is more expansive than only your manager. But I know this book is written for busy leaders and people who lead teams. So what's the best way to summarize the caring leadership concept when it comes to organizations? The book is all about developing an individual's ability to show that they care for and about others in the workplace so that they in turn will be better leaders showing up in a more caring and compassionate way. And to be honest, it's more of a people-centric, more human-centric way uh, to show up as a leader as well. You can't ask employees to be highly engaged and to bring their best and whole selves to work if you as a leader are not acknowledging and caring for them as whole people as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I feel like sometimes we always hear the, the tropes of people moving into leadership roles or manager roles without any guidance or support or training. And it sounds like this is a great way to just connect back to what you're truly doing, which is helping people grow and develop and contribute to the business. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And I know from my research and my history of observing organizations and also being a part of them, there's a lot of things that make leaders great and teams great. So why is caring the thing and why should we start there? 
Yeah, in the research I did, a lot of exercises with groups uh, where I present on this topic or just listen to employees uh, and ask them, you know, what makes a great leader and what makes a great team? And I'll list all sorts of things like trust, uh, high performance, engagement, honesty, transparency, meaning, purpose. I mean, you get the idea. The list can go on. Um, and these are all items that can be tied directly back to caring. So I, I view caring as, as a prerequisite and almost a gateway drug to so many of these other things. Uh, take trust, for instance. Does anyone trust anyone that they feel doesn't care for and about them? I'd say that's very rare that someone is going to go out of their way to give you their trust if they don't feel that caring is there uh, or non-existent unless you don't have a choice. And that was the first reason. The second reason is when you look at the concept of caring, it's unique in, in a variety of ways. First, it's free. Your actions are uh, what, how you show that you care, and it costs you nothing but repeated acts of caring for and about folks to make them feel uh, cared for and about. Uh, the second thing is that you can't fake it. People can sniff out intentions, and if you don't care, people can feel that, and they can, uh, you know, they can react a certain way to that. Caring is also reciprocal. The fact that you show up in a more caring way increases the likelihood of others. Uh, an example that I use is with uh, random acts of kindness uh, that happen daily where someone will do something like pay uh, the person behind them in, in the Starbucks drive through line. And then you see that start to become reciprocal when someone comes up and says, hey, you know, someone just paid for your meal. It was a random act of kindness. And then they repeat that over and over again. And you've heard of that happening in chains of over a hundred cars that come through. Uh, and then lastly, caring is sustainable. Uh, there's a lot of different forms of leadership uh, and leading based on title as an example only lasts as long as you have that title. Leading with fear or threat goes away as soon as that fear is gone or the followers no longer care about the consequences of fighting them. Um, but whenever you're leading with caring and being a caring leader, it just ensures that you um, you know, people will become committed, they'll become engaged, they will become connected and drawn to this caring leadership principle, uh, and they'll stay and they'll work harder and bring their best selves to work as a result of that. That's super important. I know, so I study HR practices and what's important to HR and retention of their teams and their top talent is continuously the number one thing that they're thinking about. So I could see how this plays in very well when um, you're thinking about how to you keep your best and, and you start with caring and you, you help managers bring those practices to their teams. Joe, what are some caring leadership practices that you recommend that managers can use and get started with right away? In the book, I, I start very basic with things like remembering people's names and calling them by their names. That goes a long way in building the concept that that you care for someone. And then as the book goes on, uh, I get more and more granular and more and more specific. Uh, at its most basic level, I recommend that reinforcing empathy with caring action is incredibly important. There's a lot of research and books out there on empathy. Uh, and I share a formula in the book that says empathy plus caring action equals compassion. Recognizing that empathy alone is not enough. In the book, I also briefly describe the neuroscience of caring and that if you're experiencing empathy, you know, it's great in understanding other individuals' situations, but it activates the same parts of the brain as pain does and as hurt does. It makes you feel as others feel. 
what changes is when you act on that through a caring action, uh, which activates the pleasure centers of your brain and the brain of those that you care for. And I use an example in the book of homelessness. You can empathize for someone who's having a rough time. It makes you feel bad for them, feel pain for them. That's empathy. It's not until you care enough to act on that, that it becomes compassion, you know, giving them something that they need, providing shelter, providing food. That level of caring is where the power is. It's when you create a scenario that you and that person may remember that experience forever because you turned empathy into caring action that led to compassion. And that's where the experience becomes meaningful. On a much more granular level, I go into the tactics of things like leaders acting as coaches, providing feedback through what I call carefrontation, leaders being more purposeful on how they show uh, that they care to impact performance, engagement, and connection while also avoiding conflict. There's tips in the books uh, in those topics as well. And then lastly, I address uh, all of the barriers to caring, how to avoid what I call success delusions, eliminate ego, uh, by using transparency and humility and then letting go as a way to, uh, to build autonomy and trust with your staff that really shows that you care and that you value them and their perspectives as a person. That's great, Joe. Thank you. And I know at the end of your book, A Busy Leader's Guide for Caring Leadership, you have four key competencies on caring leadership. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those are? I loosely use the CARE acronym, which probably one of the most widely used acronyms in healthcare in particular, but uh, they are, the first one is courage, not just the courage to add to the caring element to your leadership, but also combat the anti-culture to caring, to have the courage to avoid behaviors that are toxic, like the we, they, us, them culture that exists in some organizations or even other leaders that may view caring as soft and may have a little bit of a different perspective on leadership. Uh, someone can be tough and kind at the same time to be a caring leader, and that's encouraged. But being tough and having high standards can be done in a caring way, and I talk about that a lot in the book. Second is advancing engagement. If you want people to bring their full and best selves to work, you have to treat them like they are people and allow yourself to care about their full and best selves as well. I usually talk about the shroud of extreme professionalism here and how you can give yourself and others permission to care for each other as people, You know, not just hands on a keyboard or cogs in the machine and really breaking away from that culture of extreme professionalism that exists. Uh, next is reinforcing trust. And I say reinforcing trust because you can't just you know, go in your kitchen and whip up the ingredients of trust and it just happens. And people are inherently not trusting of people that they first meet. Um, but caring helps build more trust and trust is its own economy. You can deposit caring moments that lead to someone trusting you. And every time you act without caring, you're withdrawing trust. So do caring actions every day to keep your trust balance up. And the last one is effective communications. And what I mean by that is communicating in a caring, people-centric way, knowing that the greatest measure of a communication is not the person communicating it, but the person receiving that communication. So ensuring that in all of your communications, um, you're not discounting the ideas and thoughts of others by using something that I call the yes and principle, 
or just ensuring that you're communicating the why and starting with why in your communication. So folks understand the full context and impact of changes and things that are going on in the workplace. I love that you have um, like an acronym to help people remember what they're supposed to do. Because even though a lot of this is just who we are as human nature to care about each other as a social species, I feel like sometimes all of this is forgotten in that shroud of extreme professionalism, like you just mentioned. Like we kind of need to relearn these behaviors that we were taught as children sometimes. So that's great. Um, And my last question, I'm interested about the HR professional who's listening now, and they do a lot to support managers and managers' teams. What can HR professionals do to help their organization's people managers build awareness around and get better at caring leadership practices? HR professionals, more so than ever, are being viewed as strategic business partners and the people experts and the go-to people for all people-related things in the workplace. You know, so that positions them well to be the gateway to ensuring that the workplace remains as people centric in their decision making as possible, whether that's in the boardroom or in the executive meeting rooms or in local committees and project teams. You know, it makes it possible that um, you're building leaders that understand that they're creating a shadow that is the culture of the organization and that they're reinforcing behaviors that lead to caring principles in the workplace so that your people are truly your strategic competitive advantage, which a lot of people talk about and a lot of organizations talk about, um, but it's a little bit different seeing in practice. You know, at a micro level, HR can reinforce the importance of caring leadership to frontline leaders and work with them on those behaviors and how to reward those. HR can reinforce that what people do every day is just important as how they do it. Uh, I talk a little bit uh, in the book about, you know, a jerk that leads a company in sales and no one wants to work with is still a jerk. So how we do our work is just as important. And an organization and HR is well positioned uh, to reinforce that and create programs uh, that reinforce that. HR can put people first, making practices and programs that are done for employees, not to employees. A prime example is with performance evaluations right now being revamped in so many organizations. In moving away from a compliance-driven performance document done once a year to more of a continuous culture of feedback, that's really something that benefits the employee and is for them and is not just being done to them. And then finally, HR can stress focusing on an employee's full self. If we want them to be fully engaged and productive while here, we can't just support them and care for them between the time that they punch in and the time that they punch out. We are people, they are people, and if we want them to bring their full selves to work, we should care enough to accept their full selves as leaders too. That's great. Well, I, I'm so glad you're here. I'm a big fan of the book, big fan of everything that you're doing in the strategic HR space. So thank you for being here and sharing your knowledge and experience with us, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. And all of you, thanks for being with us today. Head over to hci.org for more resources on leadership development. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed your time with us. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in.